Um, we are going to speak with Bryce Roberts today. Bryce, welcome. Bryce is the uh, co-founder and managing director of O'Reilly Alpha Tech Ventures and also founder of IndyVC. Bryce operates in uh, Utah, San Francisco mode geographically. Um, Bryce, welcome. It's great to have you. I'm sure we're going to have a very interesting discussion today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you have a very different point of view about venture capital than the traditional VC point of view. Tell us what your philosophy is. Hmm. Um, the philosophy kind of has evolved over 15 years of being involved with the business. Um, I had a chance to get into venture uh, shortly after the dot-com bust, uh, and kind of watched the triaging that was happening uh, within, a, within a venture fund there. Uh, four years later, I had the opportunity to start my own and, and really help to kind of shape and message this um, gap that we saw in the market, which was seed investing. And, um, you know, I think we, there were a few objectives we had with seed investing. Uh, some of those have, have happened, um, but a bunch of those haven't. They've, uh, they've um, really been co-opted by what's been historically the traditional venture model. And, and I think, um, you know, part of the opportunity with seed investing when we started it was that it should make uh, entrepreneurship and the, and the resources that most venture-backed entrepreneurs receive more widely available to entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and also celebrate a bunch of different paths to success, um, given that, you know, professional seed investing at least was engineered around a certain size of fund, a certain type of outcome that we could benefit from. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that was, that was over 10 years ago now. The seed landscape's changed quite a bit, and that's informed a lot of uh, the changes that, that we're trying to affect through NDBC, uh, take a lot of those things that we've learned and go back and revisit some of those first principles of seed investing and recognize that that traditional billion-dollar unicorn path, you know, it works for a certain subset of companies, but even as you look at the broader uh, pool of companies that raise from traditional venture, the vast majority of them are failures, and part of our uh, part of our belief and part of what we've seen is that a lot of those failures could have been averted should you know that entrepreneur have had other options besides um, having to convince investors and build their business uh, in hyper growth mode. And so, uh, with NDVC, we're trying to go back and uh, and and affect some change there. So, uh, you know, one of my observations, you must have read the article that I wrote recently about beware of the twilight zone of venture-funded startups. Um, it's, you know, this entrepreneurs raise money with the expectation of hyper-growth, and then they cannot deliver on hyper-growth, and they get stuck in this mode where they are venture-funded. They're not growing that fast. But they're delivering, you know, reasonable revenues and and at some level are kind of successful businesses. It's just that their cap table and financial structure, financing structure is, is kind of, does not fit the expectations of their backers and, and hence they become failures even though they, without that kind of venture capital investment with a different model, they could be successful. I think that's what, um, that's, that's one of the things that I see as a problem with the venture model. I mean, yeah, you... and the hard part is, is I, it's probably not a problem with the venture model. It just is the model, right? And so um, the problem comes with 
entrepreneurs only seeing venture as the path um, for yeah. them and having to be so aspirational they're willing to kind of contort themselves to fit the model when, you know, yeah. my experience has been the most entrepreneurs actually recognize that their business may not be a billion dollar company, but they kind of have to put that front on to be able to yeah. get that attention. And so, you know, you use, you use the word reasonable, you know, reasonable growth, reasonable revenue. This is a, you know, venture is a very unreasonable business. Yeah. It doesn't, like venture doesn't work in a reasonable market. We require irrationality, both for yeah. our exits, for our growth, all of that stuff. Um, and I think too few entrepreneurs and I think too few options exist that recognize that, celebrate that, and support those kinds of companies um, that may not that may not fit that that model. And you know, uh, you know, part of the dissonance between what the traditional venture model is and what we're doing with NDVC is just recognizing that venture really does serve a valuable purpose um, yes. in the overall startup landscape. It's just it doesn't you know it doesn't suit everyone's needs. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't support the kinds of companies that candidly most entrepreneurs are probably more equipped to build. Yeah, it's it's a very particular, very narrow niche which fits the venture model. And and the problem is, you know, every entrepreneur somehow has been told that VC financing equals entrepreneurship success, and that's the problem. That that's a myth that's dominating the entrepreneurship business and, and, and you know we have for ten years we've been trying to debunk that myth and we have celebrated bootstrapped entrepreneurs and uh, you know the reasonable growth entrepreneurs consistently for, for many, many, many years. So tell us a bit about what you're doing with NDVC. What is the model? How have you structured the uh, program and, and how does it work? So with NDVC what we're doing is we're creating more options for entrepreneurs than than just the unicorn path. I think you know right now in you know in seed investing and in early stage investing, uh, you know an investor has to have conviction that what you are building could potentially go on to be the next Google, next Uber, next Facebook. Um, and we certainly don't shy away from those kinds of opportunities, but we also think, especially in the earliest stages, the VC nor the entrepreneur really has a very clear sense for how big those opportunities can be. And I'd argue that even in the case of those three that I'd mentioned, they didn't have a very good sense for how big that opportunity could be over time. And so, you know, what, what we're trying to do with NDVC is essentially set up a structure with both terms and a network of entrepreneurs that recognizes and focuses on um, growing revenue right out of the gate. You know, mm -hmm. indie of, of the indie before the dot VC really stands for independence. So we want to put entrepreneurs in a position where they can make decisions about their growth, their funding, and their exit opportunities independent of investors, independent of, you know, market trends, but put them on solid footing um, to focus on uh, building the business instead of reaching the next fundable milestone. And so the, the tweak in, in the NDVC terms is that we actually have, have structured a financial instrument that um, that can participate in some equity upside should there be an exit or a, a venture round of funding, but it doesn't necessarily anticipate it uh, because there's also a, a, you know, a mechanism for us where if you've got a business that you really love to run, you have no interest in selling it, and it's an opportunity to really generate 
meaningful personal cash flow for you, then we participate and share in that in that cash flow with you as you rather than continue to reinvest the business in search of hypergrowth, if you've got a you know business that's throwing off cash, you want to participate in that, you want to run that business for a long time instead of sell it, we as investors can make money uh, alongside of you and recoup our investment that way. So how big is your fund? So the initial NDVC, what we called our pilot, was, was about a $5 million pool of capital. The, we just recently announced a new fund that we've raised that's $30 million that, mm -hmm. um, that's going to be pursuing this NDVC opportunity. Can you talk about who, as far as limited partners are concerned, are investing in your framework? Because there is this, you know, the, the disease of wanting venture capital and wanting to invest in this hypergrowth also exists on the limited partners side. So you have clearly found a group of people who are interested in looking at this alternate model. And what kind of people are they and, and what is driving their thought process? Well, and to be clear, I think what was interesting in our pilot group was not that we weren't seeking hypergrowth. It's that mm -hmm. we actually believe that you can achieve hypergrowth on a relatively small amount of capital if you focus on the right thing. So we've had companies in our first group of NDVC, that pilot program, that have grown, you know, one of them has grown five to six X in the last 18 months, one of them grew 20 X in the last mm -hmm. 12 months. So we're seeing hypergrowth, but we're recognizing, and I think we're, we're unbundling the idea that hypergrowth and venture have to go hand in hand. Um, and so we are seeing that, and I think our LP base, um, you know, this is, this is, we've been in business for 10 plus years. I think we've done a reasonably good job of spotting trends early on. Um, one of those trends we spotted from the very outset was seed investing. When we started, it was not obvious to most institutional LPs that there was an asset class or an opportunity to be filled, you know, in that seed gap. Um, and so our LP base actually reflects a lot of the LPs we've had all along. So we have, you know, some, some uh, very prominent uh, tech entrepreneurs uh, who've built massive billion-dollar businesses that have been LPs with us and that are LPs in the new fund. Um, we have, you know, what are called fund of funds, which kind of aggregate commitments from family offices and, and institutional investors uh, and invest on their behalf. And then we have, you know, the, the foundations and endowments of the world. So I would say, our LP base looks like a fairly traditional, traditional venture fund LP base um, that recognizes that you know we've we've been right in the past around new models for investing and and I think uh, our our intent with the new fund is to show that we'll, we can be right again um, with this one and still achieve those kind of venture venture scale returns um, by focusing on the fundamentals early on. And what uh, denomination do you invest in and what stage? What do you require do you see, to see to want to invest in a company? So the, the, the first batch of companies we did, we had um, a pretty broad mandate. We were trying to figure out for whom, you know, this type of network and these types of resources and this kind of capital made the most, uh, had the most effect. And so we called that version one, that was our first year. This next year, version two, um, what we are looking for is a minimum of 10, 10K a month in revenue, 
uh, we just found that companies that were coming from a standing start just didn't make the same kind of progress and they tended to fall back on um, the notion of fundraising early on. Um, mm -hmm. And so we wanna find companies that, that have shown some real traction that they've been able to attract customers, even if they aren't certain how, how big the overall opportunity is. Um, so some amount of revenue, tech businesses, so, you know, tends to be, you know, the businesses that, um, you know, we've been looking at have been, you know, e-commerce, manufacturing, modern manufacturing. We've been looking at SaaS types of businesses, um, media types of properties. You know, in, in many respects, it's businesses and sectors that, that, you know, are out of vogue for traditional VCs that tend to get overlooked. And so you probably won't be seeing us do a whole lot of VR or AI or things that require you know, uh, this kind of wave or trend that, that uh, you know, whatever is kind of the, the trend du jour for, for VCs. Um, and then, you know, usually at least a year of operating history. And ideally, you know, with all of that, uh, some, some uh, you know, some, some net profit in there somewhere. And so, you know, we are, again, we're, we're constantly revisiting these, um, these filters as, as we go um, and trying to optimize for the companies that are benefiting most from it. But, but for today, that's, that's what we're looking for. Geography, the, the first group of companies, the pilot we did, uh, we only did US-based companies. We are open to other, uh, other locations with this kind of V2 that we're working on. We want to see, we had a lot of international interest. Um, and, you know, given the commitment we have, which is, you know, we try to do these quarterly get-togethers with all of the companies. We found mm -hmm. that the distance might be a little much for international companies to try to bite off. But, you know, I think uh, we'll, we're open to it, and I think, but I think we'll still have to kind of do it on a case-by-case -case basis. And what about denomination? How much are you looking to invest? So our check size range from 100K up to 500K US. Okay. And um, you mentioned earlier you you are open to more traditional VCs coming in. Does that mean that you um, exit into the VC funding round, or do you continue yeah, so, participating? So the, so the way that we have it structured is we the 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 in the original NDVC investment uh, in the case of an acquisition we just go you know we convert onto the cap table at a predefined percentage that we negotiate with the entrepreneur. Um, and then we, so we don't become a shareholder until, you know, until there's actually a transaction. In the case of further VC funding, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly similar mechanic. Um, we, we set out a predefined percentage of the business that we would own when and if they decide to bring in more follow-on funding. Uh, and then we'd convert into that round versus exiting through selling, you know, our, our uh, our ownership stake or that percentage to the new investors. So, so we so would just become a, preferred shareholders in that round. So in both cases, whether you, whether an entrepreneur chooses to go along without additional VC funding or they choose to go along with additional VC funding, it's a regular preferred share structure that essentially, you know, becomes, uh, goes through the regular funding cycle of a venture capital fund. So there's nothing well, different in your model as such. There, there is something different in that if you choose to not raise any more money, we never become a shareholder. 
So, so we structured it as debt, but it's, it's debt with no interest and, and no call date, no personal guarantees, none of that stuff. Okay, so however, there is in the event of an exit, you do have a, um, pro a provision to share yeah, in the you could call it, you could call, Yeah, you could call it like an equity option that we have. If, if, there's you, an equity, if there's a transfer of equity, then we have the option to participate in whatever, you know, whatever equity transfer is happening. And if it's a dividend, if you talked about sharing in profits, uh, potentially take participating in the cash distribution. How do you manage, how is that structured? So the way we structure that is we, we try to align that around incentives uh, with the founder. You know, we like to be aligned with them. And so what we, the way we structure is we uh, agree upon uh, salary that the founder mm -hmm. and the management team is going to be taking and, you know, allow them to grow that salary 150% of the baseline that we set. And then if they choose to pay themselves out in distributions more than that 150%, then we, then we split those distributions with them up to a fixed amount. Okay, so there is a whole bunch of um, kind of alternative clauses that you work into your uh, term sheets. Yes, we try to keep it as simple as possible. The term sheet is one page, so there, you know, we, we don't have any voting rights, we don't have any board seats, we don't have any of those things. Um, but there is, you know, since we are not taking any personal guarantees, we're not tying our payback to revenue, we aren't accumulating any kind of um, interest payments, we're trying, to, uh, we're trying to keep it aligned and as lightweight as possible. Um, mm -hmm. But it does, re it does require some uh, finessing there around how and when um, a payout should be structured. And how are the entrepreneurs receiving the, this kind of alternate thinking? You know, it, there's, there's, two, there's, two, uh, there's two trains of thought. One, um, one is, you know, in the predominant Silicon Valley culture, the response tends to be, well, why would we do that? <laughs> you know, that the, 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 they're so indoctrinated into the idea of uh, selling equity uh, and, and kind of getting on that successive round of fundraising to kind of ratchet up the valuation, ratchet up, you know, we peg so much of our ambition to the dollars we raise, the frequency we raise them, and who we raise them from in our world that, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like speed dating when I speak English and everybody else speaks Russian. You know, <laughs> I think that, you know, some of them just like, there's just, there's, it's totally lost in translation. But then I would say there's, there's a large and growing audience of people who, um, A, you know, they really don't want outside investors, but they could move much more quickly if they had access to capital. Um, and they had access to resources. One thing we heard early on as we were thinking through, you know, this is a, as, a, as an alternative path was we ran into a lot of companies who bootstrapped who, who said that they could have moved a lot faster if they just would have had access to networks, to people, to resources. And so um, that group seems to be uh, very open to it, very excited about it. Um, the other group has been entrepreneurs who've gone the venture route. Um, you know, if you look at the numbers, seven times more entrepreneurs have raised a million or more over the last 10 years than at any other point. And so you have this massive wave of founders who have been exposed now to that venture model, exposed to the, 
you know, the, the financial psychological pressure of hypergrowth on a very compressed timeline. And, you know, they're not, uh, they're not afraid to be an entrepreneur again. They've got ideas they want to pursue. They're every bit as ambitious, but uh, they recognize that there's a time and a place for venture. And oftentimes it's not in the earliest stages. They want to build, you know, they want to build a business um, differently this time around than that traditional venture path. So, you know, that a combination of those two um, has been super rewarding to see the response we've been getting so far. It's, it, you know, it's that response that encouraged us to go much, much deeper on that initial pilot with the new fund. Yeah. And um, talk to me a bit about how you view the entrepreneurs who are caught in the Series A gap. Um, and I'll, I'll elaborate on, on what exactly I'm asking. Um, there's a, as you know, there's been a, an excess of seed financing, actually. It, it's quite the opposite of where you pegged the opportunity 10 years ago. In the last few years, there's been too many companies that have been seed funded with the expectation that they would all raise venture capital. I think it was 2013 when there were 70,000 seed funded startups looking for venture capital. And venture capital, that number is relatively constant. It's like 1,000, 1,200 companies get VC funded every year. So, you know, 70,000 companies looking and 1,000 companies getting funded. It's a very sided equation. So there are, there are a lot of companies who are in that Series A gap. And the Series A VCs typically these days want to see a, you know, a run rate if you're, let's say, if you're working on a SaaS recurring revenue kind of deal, they want to see a run rate of a million dollars annual revenue run rate, about $80,000 monthly re revenue run rate. And there's a gap, right? To get there, there is a, you know, even if you manage to get a bit of seed financing, to get from seed finance company to a Series A ready company, there is a gap. And that Series A gap has opened up for numerous, numerous entrepreneurs. Is this a zone where you're playing at all? Well, maybe. I mean, we, we, the way we, you know, it, it's harder for us to invest if there's existing investors on the cap table, equity that shareholders. That was my question. So, yeah, so, I mean, we've been able to, uh, you know, we, we've kind of set a threshold of not having raised more than $500,000. Um, mm -hmm. It feels like incentives aren't too disaligned. We may be able to encourage those existing preferred shareholders to get onto our new term sheet. Um, mm -hmm. And participate in any any future profits. So we we have gone that route. We've looked at that, and there's been a bunch of companies we've spoken to who've kind of been in that gap. The challenge is the seed gap is 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 not really. It doesn't feel like it's as much. Five hundred thousand. They typically have raised a million, a million and a half, even two million, oftentimes, Which and just not, not been able to make that progress. And, and just not been able to make the progress that their investors expected from them, that the market expects from them before they can really um, qualify for that, you know, Series A, Series B type of, of fundraising. And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big issue. I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs raised that million or two million because it felt pretty easy to do. Uh, that next five million to 10 million is much, much more challenging, um, but they spend like it isn't and they build like it isn't. And they tend to build their business and their business model around fundraising versus you know, getting the fundamentals right, rec you know, really figuring out the scale of the business you have before you dive right into that, that you know, that kind of VC treadmill. Yeah. 
it's actually kind of a good indicator of companies that you should not invest in, people who have raised a million to a million and have not been able to reach a reasonable threshold. That's, that's not a good con company to invest in because they have a lot of discipline problem built into yeah. their structures and culture and everything. No, I mean, that, that's what we found with our, with the fund we ran our NDVC experiment out of, we were also looking at those companies, you know, and, and, and had positioned ourselves if we found one to be able to write a check for two to three million to lead a more traditional Series A round. Because there aren't a whole lot of uh, VCs on Sand Hill Road and in general that are leading those kinds of rounds. But, you know, I think your point is, is exactly what we found. The, the discipline wasn't there. Oftentimes you just scratch your head and say, you just, blew through $2 million and what do you have to show for it? There, there just wasn't a whole lot. And so And, and what is the guarantee that if I write you another half a million check, you're going to actually be able to execute and deliver meaningful metrics with it? That's, that's right, that's right. Great, well, um, very, you know, very enlightening conversation and I think it's, I, I really want the audience to listen to this and, and kind of learn about the subtleties and the nuances of financing, of growth uh, expectations and so forth. If you don't have a business that has hit a really high velocity stride, um, going for traditional venture capital and getting into this twilight zone is something that I don't personally recommend and I feel, um, you know, you, you guys need to understand why uh, there, this financing decision is a far more complex decision than single-mindedly chasing venture capital. So I wanted to invite Bryce to have this conversation and, and kind of uh, highlight and underscore some of the issues that you need to be aware of. So Bryce, shall we uh, start listening to some of the entrepreneurs? That sounds great. <laughs> 